Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. We are your independent voice of Fulham FC. So, well, need to start this podcast with a little bit of an apology because uh, we've had a week of technical nightmares here on Fulhamish. Uh, myself, Drew and Farrell recorded the podcast on Monday and not only did the main recording fail, but also the backup. Uh, after 168 successful episodes, I guess something like this was going to happen to us eventually. So uh, thank you for your patience. Uh, we sorry we weren't able to get up a podcast. Uh, and so as such, we decided to cobble together something for you just to give some reaction to the Liverpool game as you can label many things at Fulhamish, but we are nothing but consistent. So uh, we are very upset that we weren't able to get a podcast out this week. So hopefully this fills the void, especially over the international weekend. So what we're doing, uh, we're getting some of the best bits from Wednesday night's Love Sport radio show. It was Dom, uh, George Singer and Guy Barlow with host Johnny Burrow in the studio. Uh, They were discussing all the ramifications following the Liverpool defeat and also some of the ticketing issues that went on uh, during that game. Of course, many scouts in the home end and many of you were pretty angry about that, to say the least, and rightly so. So lots of debate uh, coming up on that. Just to say the season, Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. For exclusive specials and promotions, head to bets.fulhamish.co.uk. We also need to give a nod to our other sponsor, which is Putney Pies, the finest pies in all of the lands. And as ever, if you quote the code who ate all the pies, you can get 10% off your food uh just say that when ordering the bill and mention us as well and i mean it's it's exceptional food down there so uh next time you're that way either before a home game or if you're just generally in putney uh do swing in because those guys are terrific uh it's always tasty and yeah you can get 10 percent off your food with that code i just mentioned anyway sorry i've been waffling on uh let's get into it dom guy and george in the studio discussing sunday's defeat to liverpool yeah, I thought we I thought we did pretty well. We've seen it a few times against some of the bigger guys, you know, playing well against Chelsea a couple of times. You had a pretty good stretch against Arsenal before they took us apart right at the end of that game. So, you know, it, it follows the the pattern of playing pretty well against some of the good guys, but again, not coming away with any points. Yeah, I think you know what we said when Scott Barg came in is what results we get to the end of the season isn't really what matters to us. I think Drew Heatley said it on it on the thing on the video reaction we posted up on Instagram TV, Facebook, etc. That, you know, we are sort of passion and pride and we got that against Liverpool, we got that against Chelsea. Yes, the points weren't necessarily there, but if you put those performances in in the home games against Cardiff, Everton and Newcastle, you are gonna get results, I think. So yeah, it was it was very positive to see. I think you, you could argue maybe, you know, Liverpool were tired after the European exploits, but they clearly haven't been in the rest of the, the rest of the Premier League games after of the European games. They only conceded what, 15 goals all season or something stupid like that. You know, Mo Salah was what one of the best, arguably the best player in Europe last year. He was somehow kept quiet by Championship level Joe Bryan. So, so and then you know Virgil Van Dijk, supposedly the best friend in the league, getting. Get, and Babel said he knew his weakness and he clearly pounced on that. <laughs> but no, there was a lot to take from to take from the game. And you know, the team looked like a more like a cohesive unit than it has in certain times it didn't see like loads of square pegs in round holes it seemed like the team knew what was being asked of them and they executed the game plan relatively well 
George, you mentioned the positive performances that Fulham have been putting in against the league's biggest sides. Obviously, that's encouraging as a Fulham fan, but does it also give you a slightly frustrating sense of what if? Because actually, when this team does perform, they do look cohesive. They do look like a team. They do look like a Premier League team. And could you not have had a better, more consistent season? Yeah, I think we've said so many times this season, if we play as well as we did against some of the big guys, against the rest of the opposition, we'd we'd have been okay. But, you know, it's not the games like this which are going to relegate us this season. It's the it's the loss away at Huddersfield, it's the loss away at Cardiff, it's the losing those key games to the teams around us. You know, it's, it's all very well putting in these performances now, but if you don't do it in games where you can actually get the points, then it, it means it means very little, to be honest. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I totally echo that. You know, if you look at how many key away games we've lost, you know, we've p- only picked up two points away from the season. We still need another point to make sure we don't end up with the worst ever Premier League away record over a 38 game season. Derby, in their terrible season, 2008, whenever it was, got three points. So we still need it. But yes, you said we lost Huddersfield away from home. We lost to Cardiff away from home. We lost we lost to Burnley away from home. Lost Southampton away from home. Lost to Southampton away from home. All the teams around us away from home we've lost to. And, you know, you, you, you say against top six home away, don't expect anything but you know win win the games in and around you and you know when you're away from home try and get the results against teams around you and we haven't done that and that's that's been our main promises and we've seen him there's been plenty of positive performances this season plenty we see especially against big size except from against at home except for maybe arsenal you know spurs spurs at home we probably should have got a result chelsea at home we, we could have snatched a draw same with against same against liverpool ones for a lapse contrast from sergio rico so you know that is frustrating and it's weird when we're usually you know when we were in the premier league last time we were successful we were getting the home results against the teams in and around us and that's what kept us up in the league and that's how we progressed into the top half and then against the big teams we get the odd good result but predominantly time we get outplayed but it's sort of been the opposite of that this season looking specifically at that performance against Liverpool the first Liverpool goal there's not a lot Fulham can do about that it's fantastic attacking play the link up between Mane and Firmino is gorgeous but the second goal the penalty did you feel a little bit hard done by I think at the time, because obviously we were the right other side of the ground, I couldn't really tell what had happened. I didn't know if there was a handball in there. I don't know if, if someone was dragged down. Then obviously I saw the replay when I was leaving the stadium off my phone. And, you know, I'm not saying it's not a penalty, right? But if that's between two outfield players on a set piece, is that given? I don't think it is. Unless they, unless there was v, unless you got VAR involved there. You know, Rico does tug him, but... Marnie doesn't need to fall like that when being. T- I know he's trying to win the penalty for his side, but you know I do think it's soft, as Leon Osman said on match today too. I do think it is a penalty, and you know it's a it's a goalkeeper tugging back the player. But Marnie makes such a big deal out of it, and if that's the, if that's the way he, he's going to try, I know he's you know you want they they need to win the games. You know they're in a title race here, but I still feel slightly hard done by. But you you got to look at Rico. Is you know, Salah hasn't fizzed that shot in at him. He's lofted it in, and he should be catching that. Is there an argument from Mane's point of view that even if he did make a bit much of it and he did go down perhaps more dramatically than he needed to, isn't that kind of good forward play? In that if he has been fouled, he's going, referee, I've been fouled. It's not a dive, it's just making sure he gets the decision that he deserves. Yeah, and um, I mean, Don mentioned that Salah was an informed player in Europe last season. Well, at the moment, Mane is an informed player in Europe this season. You know, he's got 11 goals in his last 11 games. He's in top form at the moment. So is and it three braces in a row or something crazy like that? Well, he didn't get a brace against us, did he, mate? No, he didn't. Doesn't. There you go. But uh, it was, it, it, but he's, but he, yeah, he is the most Salah in their team of this yeah. season. And But if, if, as in, if we hop back to the first goal, I think that first goal was coming. 
the amount of times we were getting done down that on our right hand side. I'm not saying Fosu Mensa was, was actually to blame to that. I think it was you know our defence was playing really narrow. We weren't having yeah. wing backs or fullbacks out wide in positions. They were sort of a ne- not four centre backs, but a very narrow four like in line with the 18 yard box, if anything. And you know Robertson was getting down the line quite quite a lot past Fosu Mensa, which I don't think is his blame. I think I think was it Floyd Ise on this side who wasn't helping him tra- in tracking back. But I think that goal was coming. But you could argue I think it's maybe Anguissa could get to. Um, I could get to Firmino a lot quicker but yeah I think that you could see that one of these chances down that right hand side uh, for on our right hand side their left hand side something was going to come to fruition yeah I think the uh, it, it would be harsh to blame uh, Fossi Mensa. he's obviously a player low in confidence anyway he's probably got one of the if not the top form uh, left winger in, in the world there it's, it's what surprised me about why Parker chose Aite and actually started the chap because he's not known for his defensive work rate when you're lining up against someone like Robertson is he the kind of player you want who can put pressure on Robertson and nullify him out of the game probably not so it does make me think you know what what is what is Parker thinking there when he's picking picking Aite? Yeah, and I mean, Don mentioned how narrow we were. Like Alexander Arnold and Robertson are the two, arguably the two best fullbacks in the league, and certainly the two best crossing fullbacks in the league. Um, I didn't like that they were given so much space because when we were so narrow, someone has to go out to them every single time, and sometimes it did block across, sometimes it didn't. But it, it, it was just alarming, like that. Maybe Babel and Aite were given too much work, actually, you know, because Brian and Fossi Mensa were clearly doing their jobs. They were doing what they were told, but maybe the wingers weren't. Yeah, and I think this is this is where when we start to think about, OK, what, who do we want as our manager, head coach next season? For me, if we're going to try and bring in someone younger with a new way of thinking, I think this is definitely a, a strike against Parker here, how he needs to show in these games that he can apply the right tactics to the opposition and pick the team that will nullify an opposition. You're not going to go and play Liverpool and dominate the game. You need to find ways, either through a system or through your personnel, to try and nullify the guys. Yeah. And it, if you're playing really attacking wingers against the best attacking fullbacks, you're going to leave yourself exposed, and that's what it, we saw. It, it was interesting, some of the other switches he made, though, was obviously Anguissa in the centre of the park, and then do you notice in the second half as well, Mitro went out wide and Babel was played in the... Um, you know, centre-forward role. That's something we've I seen... Could, that, I can understand why he, Parker did that, yeah. Because Mitra wasn't getting any luck down the middle, and Babel was the one causing the most problems. But by having Babel through the middle, you're then not having his effects out wide. And I think you know, Mitrovic actually, I think he did badly when he was moved out wide. But it's just he's not comfortable there. And you know, maybe maybe it was maybe getting Babel closer to Mitrovic as opposed to swapping their positions. Yeah, I mean, it, I was just going to mention something we've seen that Lukaku play um, in the past few years under Kuman and now under Solskjaer, Solskjaer, getting the big man who who you think you know nodding it on getting him out wide and then driving and then getting crosses in from the opposite side but when um, Mitrovic and then but there was a brief period in the second half where the, the front four were kind of in flux weren't they and I couldn't apart from Mitrovic being out wide and bubble through the centre our left side didn't really have much structure I don't think because Brian was being told to stay back because it's Liverpool that's understandable but then Aite and Kearney I wasn't really sure what was going on there you know and you, you mentioned the tactical awareness that Parker needs to show I'm not sure he showed much there you're right no and I think putting Mitrovic out maybe for a short short period of time makes a little bit of sense you're, you're really going to struggle against um, Van Dijk unless you're Ryan Babel um, <laughs> but yeah maybe maybe you get a bit more kind of uh, you know win a few more aerial duels against some of the fullbacks so maybe that was kind of a short term switch which uh, at the end of the day Bubble moving in the midfield uh, in the centre of the park actually actually helped of course 
There were some notable performances for Fulham at the weekend, not least in the form of a certain midfielder, Don Betts, who you've been quite critical of this season. Yeah, Andre Frank Zambo and Greece, or whatever name he decides to use. I mean, he's Andre got, he's got Frank four. Zambo. And Greece, yeah, he's, yeah, he's got he's got four of them, so he, he, he can choose. But no, I thought it was the first time he's actually looked like a Premier League player in 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 across a full night. We've seen like little glimpses from him, but I think maybe I think the the way in the system we were playing probably helped that. You know, with, with two creative and you know silky players like the likes of Sarri and Kearney, and he can be the more industrial player. But yeah, he actually looked like an accomplished Premier League player, and he deservedly got man of the match. It was bizarre. Thinking back, am I right? The last time we played that midfield three was against Huddersfield away. Yeah, and that and that game he looked lost. He looked lost. So I, did everyone. Yeah, yeah, no, everyone. Everyone was obviously. I was with you guys at this game, yeah. and it was just like, why am I here? First of all, on a, in Huddersfield on a Monday night, and two, what, what is this midfield? Yeah, he, but in a lot of games this season, he has looked completely lost. And I, but there have been glimpses when you you've seen little glimpses of him. Oh, there's definitely a player here. One one game that stands out to me, Spurs away. I, there were there were mm. glimpses of him being a good player, but I think this is the first. I know he's not played many ninety minutes this season, and he had that injury which sort of derailed himself. But you know, you can see there's the raw talent there. He was very very. I would say not very, very good, but he was a key cog in Marseille's Europa League final run last season because he had the likes of the likes of Luis Gustavo behind him, one of the best holding midfielders in Europe, to, 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 to let him reform. And I think you know his industrialism and his. I think he, I think he's in the mold of a uh, Ndidi, like at Leicester. I think he's in that mold, and I think he can actually be something in this team before the end of the season. But yeah, very, very impressive. And you know when I saw he was starting uh, and. Maybe the likes of Session wasn't starting. I was like, okay, what's what's Parker doing here? There's no natural holding midfielder here in Seri, Kenny, and Guisa, but yeah, it, it seemed to work. Yeah, no, it, it, he was he was definitely for me the standout signing. He was the one I was most excited about seeing. Maybe an obvious statement as he's you know a record signing. Um, I think to be honest, he's been let down by the players he's got around him. Like like you said before, his his best role is next to a holding midfielder. He's not. He's not the Kevin McDonald. He's not the anchor man. He's he's a, a bit of an all rounder, but he can't just play that pure solid defensive role. Um, and in that regards, I think he's been a little bit kind of let down by the fuller management there for not really putting him in uh, in the right role. Is there an element of frustration for you here? And obviously, it's nice to see a player who cost a lot of money perform, but precisely because he cost a lot of money and because his wages aren't insignificant he's very unlikely to be at the club next season so is there really any point in him suddenly coming to the fore now well I, I, I don't know I'm, I'm not actually that frustrated by it I'm, I'm quite happy for him I'm quite happy for Fulham you know like the, the, the fact that he's, he's come in and put in a good performance and you know from what I've seen um, I remember reading some notes from the supporters trust that had a meeting with the club quite recently and that how they're keen to keep him both both him and Seri next season, and build a championship side around them too. And you know, like, do you think that's realistic? I mean, I'm I'm not getting at you here, but someone like Seri, who hasn't impressed in the Premier League, yeah. but was linked with Barcelona, with Chelsea, can you see him lining up against Barnsley away? I think. What a lot of people have spoken about is Anguissa. I, I think he can, I think he might actually end up staying this season and uh, for next season. And I think uh, what I think was been said is in the contracts there is a lot of if we get relocated there is wage reductions in the in the in these contracts. Seri I think will get interest in him and Mitrovic. I think will be the two key players for us this summer that we will look to recoup the money on to fund building the squad for next season. 
But Anguissa, I think, is a player we can look for next season to build around because he's still a very young player. He's only 22, 23 years old. Obviously, he hasn't impressed the season. He won't be the name on anyone's lips except Marseille fans probably laughing at getting 30 million for him in the summer. So I think, you know, he's a player we, we, should, we could look to build around. And, you know, if Slavisa Djokanovic ends up going to West Brom, you could see uh, Johansson joining him. Obviously, he's on loan there at the moment. His contract expires at the end of the season, but obviously we do a way to extend that on a one-year deal, which you can probably extend to sell him on to West Brom. But I think he would do the Stephanie Hansen role, which he's done for the last few years. But obviously, he's a very different type of player in that role, but I can think he'd do a job. And I think he's a player to build around. And yeah, it was it was great to see from him. And obviously, he had a very, very good chance when he took it on his chest and he hit it on the half volley. If he just got a bit more venom behind the ball and connected with it better, you could have seen it searing into the top corner. But yeah, very, very accomplished performance from him. And he, he just looked a lot more comfortable in, in his own shoes, if that makes sense. Both Anguissa and Seri came from Ligue 1 with really quite hefty reputations as top midfielders, both in their own right. Both of them have struggled in the Premier League this season. It's not just a Fulham thing. It's not like they've been pulling up trees and players around them haven't performed. They haven't done the business. Do you think that implies perhaps a relative lack of quality in Liga in relation to the English game? I don't, I don't think so. I think a massive problem for both them players is they've been playing in a... Not, I'm not saying I'm saying players should be adaptable, but they've been playing in a system that isn't suited to them. You know, we we've said it from the start of the season that can Seri and Kenny play in the same side? From what I've seen, I don't think they can because they're both trying to do the same thing from two different positions, which is just counterproductive. I think there is definitely quality in Liga. The amount of the amount of good French players Fulham have had over the years. You know, you, if, if we look we look at Steve Malbronk, we look at Louis Saha. You know, there is quality. I know this is going back 10, 15 years now, but you know there is. Or probably longer than now, probably near enough twenty years now. But I think I, th- I think you know there is there is quality in Liga. There's, 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 there's definitely quality. You know, you look at Nabil Fakir, you look at Memphis Depay. You know, if you look if you look at Marseille, uh, I know Balotelli wasn't ever great in England, but he's, he's doing he's doing very very good there. You know, Marseille got to the Europa League final last year. There is quality there, but I think you know because the way they play is so different, they need time to adapt and adapt themselves into a system in the Premier League that suits the way they play. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a bit of a top heavy league, but there's definitely enough quality in there. And we've seen enough transfers go kind of either way between the two. I think looking back, you mentioned it before about Anguissa. He played with one of, if not the best, holding midfielder in the world's next to him. With Seri, he played next to two holding midfielders. And then who have they been playing with in the Fulham lineup? I mean, Cisse's probably Ibrahim Cisse's probably been, you know, our holding midfielder that's played the most amount of games, and he's. He's pony, right? Yeah, him and him, him and Ken McDonald have been the the natural holding midfielders playing this season. McDonald obviously wasn't fell fell out of favour, especially on the Claudio Ranieri, which he didn't hold back on in the program this week. And yeah, I think that's that's also been a problem. If you we although we made so many signs, but we haven't had a consistent eleven all season. You know, it it, it took until about November December for us to play say play the same back four across two games. That absence of a consistent eleven. do you think that's straightforwardly a managerial problem of the likes of Jukanovic and Ranieri being unwilling to pin their colours to the mast? Or actually, does the buck stop with the players and the fact that not enough of them have stood up and said, listen, I am undroppable, I have to be on your team sheet? I think a lot of it's got to do with Tony Khan and the manager's relationship when buying the players. It feels... I get the impression as a fan sometimes that they're not actually talking to each other. You've got Tony who goes and signs all these wonderful players and then just chucks them at Slavisa to try and fit them all together. I mean, that's that's kind of what I saw. And you saw it from, you know, how many centre-back pairings did we see for the first 10, 11, 12 games of the season? What, how many midfield pairings have we seen? You know, to me, it just doesn't feel like you've got that 
synergy between the kind of the top and the middle layer of the club to work out okay what are the players we need what systems do we want to play and I, I don't think the answer is giving a manager full responsibility like maybe Yukanovic wanted but you've got to give him some kind of input there and it just feels like there's a bit of a disconnect between the two well the uh, only consistent thing about the season has been Mitrovic up top I mean, apart from that, there's not been nothing consistent. You know, the wingers have have changed. The le- I mean, you could say Joe Bryan, but even him, him and Cesar fighting for the left back spot to start the season. So you know, that's been another, that's been another of the problems. That because also you do sign all these players that you want to fit them into a team, but you don't know what what people's strengths and weaknesses are. On Joe Bryan, you brought him in from Bristol City. You, Dom, rather cruelly referred to him as championship quality Joe Bryan, which I believe is how his mother addresses him. Uh, <laughs> do you think, given he may be championship quality, he'll be someone who could actually excel for you next season? Well, yeah, I think if you look at our def- if you look at our defence, let's say you look at Reem Mawson, Christie. And Joe Bryan, that's a very, very capable championship defence. And we've seen Joe Bryan, you know, even in games when he was t- when he took when they knocked out Manchester United in the was it the League Cup last year? Yeah. And he was he was excellent in that game. And you know, we we have seen you've seen glimpses of him uh, being good. You know that you know he if you look at the Brighton game, his delivery was very good in that game. And you know, I think what his problem is is a lot of the time he, he hasn't been able to bomb forward. And I think that's mm. just, he's been he's been held back. And we saw last season in the Championship, you know, our fullback sort of. Arguably, two of the most critical positions in our, two of the most critical positions in our team. So, yeah, I think Joe Bryan is isn't Premier League quality, but he did he definitely showed if he was there was glimpses of that against Liverpool. And I thought after Anguissa, who was our second best player, because he kept Salah very very quiet. But you know, I think Joe Bryan has, take, has took time adapting. Obviously, he's he's come from a division below coming up, and I think he's finally getting it. And I think you know he'll be very very good for us next season because I can't see him going anywhere. So, but yeah, Joe Bryan, I do I still he's not he's not proved completely that he's a Premier League. Player but he's he's got he has improved massively I think in the last couple of months. Yeah, and, and I mean he missed a few months of the season as well through injuries, so that kind of helps him adapt. But I mean uh, we're talking about good performances on Sunday. Obviously Rico made an error for the um, for the penalty and, and the, ultimately the winner. And it's not the first error he's made in the past few weeks. I mean I'm I, I, I've been hearing a lot of commentary from outside of Fulham saying why is he still playing you know like he's making all these mistakes and I'm a big fan of Rico yeah like he multiple Europa League winner but clearly Sevilla gave him to us for a reason you know and that reason must be that he's just like his form has fallen off a cliff in a similar way to like, like what we've seen Joe Hart you know like he's just Skype bomb doesn't he and I don't understand like how has this happened to him he had a poor season last season so obviously for Sevilla did so well with Emery and guys you know Europa Leagues again and again really struggled last season I think that's why we were able to try and pick him up I think uh, yeah he's he's had some great patches and when he first came into the team I think he was clearly our best player and I think he's still going to end the season probably as one of our players of the season which is bizarre considering how many goals he's conceded but you know part of me is thinking okay we're not going to set up now next season who's our keeper going to be is, well, is it Bettinelli I do, meant, we, I meant, do we bring I mentioned this to a few people this week that let's say Marcus Bettinelli was fit and he was our keeper on the bench would would there be calls for him to come in now I think there would yeah yeah. Because we know he's probably going to be our goalkeeper next season. This was a guy who was in the England squad. He's been in the last point. two England squads. I know he's there as a fourth goalkeeper, but he's been in the last two England squads. So Gareth Southgate definitely sees something there and has seen something in him ever since he was manager in the under-21s. And yeah, I think Bettinelli is a lot more commanding. I think one thing you can complain about Rico is, aerially, he's not the best. And we've seen this on multiple occasions, especially in the last few months. And, you know, yeah, as, as if Bettinelli was to come back 
from injury before the end of the season, I would probably think about bringing him in just because we know he's going to be our goalkeeper next season. The amount of times I've said this season, all I want from Scott Parker is to make sure we're in a good position when we start pre-season. Well, the big question that we'll be touching on in the next hour as well is, will Scott Parker be the man in charge next season? Will these decisions be being taken by him? I mean, just quickly, if you had to be asked now, you three, yes or no? No. I'll say I, I just, only reason I say yes is I, there's not someone who sticks out to me that I want, and I don't want to take a punt on someone random. Hello, I'm Lucas Piazon, and you're listening to Fulhamish Podcast. Now, it wasn't just Fulham calling against Liverpool at the weekend, was it? Because there were certain scousers in the home end. Yeah, I mean, we knew this was going to happen. Obviously, when tickets came on sale to scene ticket holders, they were they sold out that day because members with home games other first people allowed to buy because obviously they, you assume season tickets obviously going to go and you know if season ticket holders going to buy tickets it's for someone else but members it's their first chance and you know you're, you're, I presume you're a members holder George I remember yeah, yeah, yeah like, like Cam is and, and this is your first year which is to buy tickets and, and stuff and I mean to be fair being a member you're, 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 the cheapest option is actually to borrow someone's season ticket when they're probably not there and be perfectly honest and you know when I looked this is 10am when first season ticket holders are first allowed to buy it, the entire Riverside and Putney End were sold out. Obviously, Putney End is where the away, away end is, but they bought the tickets up in that stand, and then the Riverside had sold out. I don't, it, Fulham fan members would have been bought and buying tickets. I'm not. I'm not saying they weren't, but you know, if you compare it to Chelsea, which is arguably a bigger game for Fulham fans, every block was still available to buy. So it's still. So you, you're, you're sure it was Liverpool fans, or at least some of these tickets were being bought by Liverpool fans. Well, yeah. If you look at if you look at Babel's goal, it looks like a friendly. Because half the people at the front, because that's where Fulham fans aren't going to be probably wanting to buy tickets, they aren't celebrating. If you look when Bell scores, the first two or three rows, there's this Liverpool fan just scowling at Virgil van Dijk and Alisson. <laughs> well, I mean, it's brave at the very least. We've had a lot of tweets into the show about this issue because lots of Fulham fans are upset. Uh, for one, Richard Osman of Pointless tweets, a lot of Liverpool around us in the Riverside. We had to explain to two of them that they were actually in our seats. They argued for a bit, but I told them I'd sat there for the last 10 years, so I'd probably know. On that 10 years point, is the risk here a sort of elision of history where you're not allowing fans of a club to support their own team because the away fans are getting overexcited? I think this is just another sign we've seen this year over and over again of the guys at the club who are setting up the tickets, selling the tickets and sorting out the pricing for the tickets are so out of touch with the fans. I think if this was just a a normal middle-of-the-road season, we'd finished mid-table, you know, the, we didn't have the ticket pricing crisis that we've got, you know, this probably wouldn't, would barely be a point of discussion. No, it's just I, I, another, I it's another time of I th- I the, think, the club yeah, making the wrong decisions. One thing to know is it's not the first time that when we played a big side like Main after Liverpool, there's been away fans in the home end but this was different level like you you, you expect that because obviously we're not going to sell 26,000 tickets or 25,000 tickets every single week but you know most fans you'd see would, would respect it and would stand up and clap when we would score and then would be quiet when United scored but these Liverpool fans because there was so there was some just literally holding up their scarves in the Johnny Haynes you know those fans just scowling when we score a goal I mean if you're going to if you're going to sit in an opposition end watching your team at least conform to it in you know, pretend you're a Fulham fan. Well, don't. I'm not sure you can ask them to pretend they're a Fulham fan, Dom. But I agree that the bare minimum of respect is just silence if your team score. I mean, George, you raise a really interesting point about the people at the club who are responsible for selling these tickets, perhaps not getting it. I take your point, but from the club's point of view, how are they meant to vet this? 
How are they meant to run background checks? Are you a Liverpool fan? Well, how do we know? Surely well, they've just got to sell the tickets to the well, surely, people who are allowed yeah, to the buy pro- them. The problem is the, mem- the memberships yeah. were advertised plenty of times, yeah. which Liverpool fans clearly snapped up on. And also, surely... But you can't. Yeah, but no, so like surely, surely if you're history. surely if you're yeah. a member, you would have bought t- you you would have bought or you were planning to be a member, you would have bought a ticket before, right? Like and booking history. That's that's neat. I know how do you get a booking history is is, is the counter argument here. But this is just a single game here. We're taking on account, and if and if a Fulham fan, I, I, I guarantee there'll be Fulham fans who've been to a game before, who who maybe want a ticket for this game, who maybe would buy a membership so you get one. But come on, you got to look at the amount of people just buying memberships. Yeah. So in the vicinity of this game. But where's the cutoff point, right? Do you say you've got to be a member and you've got to have gone to five Fulham games involving? Normal size Premier League clubs before you can buy one against one of the top I'm, six. How are we doing? I'm it? not saying a fan without booking history can't buy a ticket. That's not what I'm saying. But the the, the, the way how away tickets are done on loyalty points, it should it should be along those sort of lines. You, you must have been to this many games a season, and because then then you're yeah. not giving the Liverpool fans the priority from day dot. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, but it, it can be simpler than that. Like just don't sell memberships up until the Liverpool game goes on sale. Like it's, it's that simple, you know. Cut off selling memberships before the season. And don't starts. advertise it out. Yeah, like, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and also lower the prices. Like if there's there's enough Fulham fans out there who could easily sell out the stadium minus the away end. But if because there are loads of Fulham fans who Fulham fans, but also want to see Liverpool, and you know I get that they're a great opposition. It's I, it'll yeah, be our only opportunity that's, to that's, play that's them for the a while. That's the thing. A lot of these, a lot the Liverpool fans who go, it'll be their only game of the season watching their side play. So they're willing to pay the 50, 60, 70 quid to watch it. Whereas um, the, the, your everyday Fulham fan isn't can't afford to pay fifty five quid every single hang like you, George, mm. like like Candos. So I th- yeah, it's, it's 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 crazy, and you know that's that's why because they're willing to pay the six. I know people on the day who pay three hundred quid for one. Mm. Like that's, that's, that's ridiculous I just want to touch on a couple more of these tweets we've had into the show gents so Joe Kent Joe Kent 05 tweets I had an extremely vocal Liverpool fan who was wearing a full Liverpool kit I won't use the term that he used to describe this gentleman's choice of attire but I think we can all imagine what it was uh, he was sitting behind me in the Riverside stand he sang all their chants and celebrated their goals unbelievably loudly not the first time either same with all of the big six teams I was making the point that the club can't really vet people for whether they're Fulham fans when they're selling the tickets but actually in the case of wearing a Liverpool kit you can is there a case for putting a rule in place where if you want to enter a home stand at a football match you don't have to be wearing a Fulham shirt fair enough but you can't be actively wearing the colours the kit the scarf of the opposition yeah, that's probably a fair point, but I don't know. Like these stewards are, you know, useless. Z- 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 under also like zero hours contracts, underpaid. Like, why would they care? You know, like. And there's also an argument that, well, why shouldn't Liverpool fans be able to do it? It's an open market. You can buy whatever ticket you want. You want to see your team. This is the way that you can do it most affordably. That's life. Yeah, I know. So I've so we're saying before we come on. I for the Spurs away game, I went into the Spurs. And for that, it was pretty easy to get hold of tickets. Again, I'd like to think I was fairly respectful. I think the difference here is we all knew this was going to happen. And as the when the tickets were released, on the day they were released, and they sold out pretty much instantly, we knew this was going to happen. We were all talking about it. So the club had 
a lot of time to prepare for and this. They, everyone knew that this, was, this is what was going to happen. We spoke we spoke about it on multiple Love Sport mm. radio shows, multiple podcasts, saying this is what's going to happen. We know it's going to happen, but we we can't officially know it's going to happen until the game. And you and obviously, thankfully, where I see it is at the back of uh, the Hammersmith End in H five H six. So you know we, you're not going to get Liverpool fans back there because they'll just get probably kicked down the stairs. On being perfectly frank, because that's happened to a, when away fans have been in the home end before. But you know, come, the club need need to do is not. I think you know the stewards. There are stewards who do care. There's plenty of stewards who do. The ones who have been there for years. The ones who you know this. They're not just here to make a quick buck. Well, not even a quick buck. So they, they probably don't get paid very much. Not knowing them, but you know they they, they do it because they like doing it, not because they're there because obviously need a job to pay the bills. Let's say. And I think you know if the stewards who do care will kick people out. And I'm but saying, guy's point is a good one in that you can't expect stewards to do this actually it's not a steward's job because if they go up to a Liverpool fan and say mate you can't be here you're a Liverpool fan the Liverpool fan is likely to go well why can't I not be here yeah. I bought a ticket then that steward who isn't trained for this kind of thing has got an altercation on his or her fans that they don't really need and actually but if, if, you're, if you're saying that oh I've got if they're saying they have a right to be then you don't respect the morals of English football because you know this is this you've got home end you've got an away end if you're an away fan you sit in the away end that's simply how it works but if, if you're an away if you're a fan of the away team who has absolutely no way of ever seeing their team live unless they stand in the Fulham home end to see their team isn't another aspect of the morals of English football as you put it that you get to support your team you get to see them live and if that's the only way of doing it then you're kind of going to have to do that if that's the only way of doing it then show some respect to the club that's allowed you to see your favourite team you know like don't wear a Liverpool shirt don't wear a Liverpool scarf you know and we're not not talking about celebrating goals we're just talking about standing up when Fulham score just, all just that's all you got to do, you know. It's just. Would Would you expect them to stand up? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd everyone around them, stands up, but I'd expect them. I don't know. Not I'd, even clap. Just stand up. Well, I'd mm. expect them to be quiet when Liverpool score. I think you can you can say don't celebrate your team's goals, but I don't think you can ask them to celebrate. Well, then, fully. if, they, if they're not going to do that, then don't buy a ticket in, in our end. Simple as. I think the difference is there are so many of them. Like I said, I've I've done it before going in the in the opposition end but because there are so many Liverpool fans there they're all like I said we, we were watching the goal earlier watching the crowd in the in the Fulham home ends you could see like odd single people standing up you know in certain areas the majority of them were Liverpool fans and in that in that scenario they're not all going to stand up because you haven't got Fulham fans around you and on the stewarding front there is actually a safety question where we know that football fans aren't always the most welcoming or forgiving people if you're a Liverpool fan celebrating a Liverpool goal in a Fulham end it's not what anyone wants to see but there is an argument that you're potentially putting yourself and other people in danger by doing that we've had a tweet in from Neil at we won it one time who says I saw numerous fans in the Riverside with Fulham season tickets either asking stewards where their seats were, slightly odd thing to do for a season ticket holder, or just generally looking for where they were meant to sit. I also saw three people walk into the stand as the game kicked off wearing Liverpool scarves. Neil's point about season tickets, Mm. if that's true, is quite an interesting one. And it broadens this discussion because what that means, George, is it's not just a case of your point about the club who are selling the tickets not getting it and getting it wrong. It also suggests that actually some Fulham fans could be culpable for this and that they perhaps are prioritising financial gain over the atmosphere at their club and even respect for the club itself. Yeah, I mean... At the end of the day, I can't. You can't blame them too much. If if a Liverpool fan is can't out you? there, well, if a Liverpool fan is offering you a lot of money to borrow your ticket for a game, 
and you've had to sit through how many f- terrible Fulham performances throughout the season, you know you're not going to win and you're not really that bothered. I don't, I don't think I'll blame you. I'd do the same. If someone offered me 60 quid for the ticket. Even it was more than that. that People are getting offered like multiple hundred pounds. Okay, but even if you're getting offered, let's say you're being offered something absolutely ludicrous for 90 minutes of football, you're being offered 400 quid. Right, everyone's got a price. Everyone's got a price. <laughs> Guys, just said with a wry smile. Uh, I'm not begrudging people who have a price who take that money, but that money—it's not just a case of well, you get the money and the Liverpool fan gets to watch his team. Everyone's happy because actually, what we're seeing from the testimony that you three are giving me and from the tweets we're having into the show, the other price of that is that you're damaging the atmosphere for other Fulham fans you're perhaps degrading the respect that they have for the club they're making people take the club less seriously this isn't a victimless crime as it were you are actually affecting other people's match day experience well, there's no atmosphere in the riverside stand anyway so, uh, <laughs> um yeah uh, it's it's a fair point but at the end of the day this isn't the selling of and selling on of s- single season tickets isn't the majority of the issue here the majority of the issue is liverpool fans buying tickets with membership through the club that's that's yeah 90 95 percent of the Liverpool fans yeah but I don't I don't think you can ignore the fact that some scenes ticket holders have added to the problem here because if you think you you mention all these tickets that Liverpool fans are buying you know are buying up the Putney end buying up the Riverside etc you know but Fulham, Fulham fans selling these scenes it's actually only adding more onto that so I think I, I understand that as Guy said everyone's got a price but <laughs> You know, you are adding to the problem by selling your scenes. I don't care if they're offering you 300, 400 quid if you know the problem they're going to cause, you know. And then let's say this person gets kicked out of that seat and you then give your scenes, are you then liable to get 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 reprimands with that will you get banned for a game when it seems to get then have then be like blocked or blacklisted? I don't know. You know, there's certain things, there's stories which happen when, you know, somewhat you've, you know, you've, you you go to an away game, and let's say someone you swap seats, someone they get, let's say that person gets kicked out. You're then going to be the person who gets in trouble because they're sitting in your necessary seat. That's why don't check their match ticket, for example. So I think that you know, yes, the way the club are majority to blame here, but I don't think we can just simply ignore that there are certain Fulham fans who sell their seats to get on who are to blame as well. Yeah, and the the point that's been made is that Liverpool fans, are Liverpool fans, they've always done this, you know. But I, I wanted to ask. I mean, I know I'm obviously not is as involved in the ins and outs of other Premier League clubs but it must happen elsewhere um, and at, at similar size clubs you know Huddersfield QPR when they're in the Premier League it must have happened but I don't remember obviously I'm more involved but I don't remember other people commenting on it you know as much as they have done this time so clearly Fulham's doing something incredibly wrong where even outsiders outside of the club are noticing Liverpool fans in the home ends I, I think it's just a lot of naivety from the club and you know, selling selling memberships right up until Liverpool tickets going on sale. I mean, that's that's yeah. obviously that's not why do, planning forward. What, what, but what, again, why is Fulham the only club who seems to have done this? You know, like because we uh, seem to have the most naive board in the league. Yeah, but like I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, Huddersfield would have no problem selling out their own fans at home to Liverpool, even the ones who don't have season tickets. But we seem to we we have we have that problem, and that might be ticket prices. Or it might just be canny Liverpool fans buying memberships and getting them before. I also the think another fans. thing, which is maybe not naive from the board, but I think you know, money grabbing. I guess you call it from the board that they're 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 not bothered who's buying the tickets as long as they're selling the tickets. Board yeah. members, board members have said for a long time, well, as long as we're selling them for that price, they're going to go. But the thing is, you're then 
selling out Fulham fans by selling it to Liverpool fans who are willing to pay the high fees, whereas Fulham fans who may not be able to pay the fees like George. So I think you know it is very naive, and I think it's very very bad from the board. I know I know everyone talks about Tony Khan, but this is actually isn't actually his. Demeanor. This isn't actually got anything to do with him. He's director of football. The match day revenue isn't actually doing thing. That's obviously down to Casper, who then left for AC Milan, who was our chief revenue officer. It goes down to Alice, the McIntosh, and also the other board directors, executive or non or non executive. So, I think there's a lot to be spoken about, and obviously we'll speak about what, what the supporters' trust notes from this month, from last month's meeting, or this month's meeting has gone and said. But yeah, it's. It's very naive from the board, and the board the ultimately it lies with the board of directors, the likes of Addison McIntosh, the likes of, you know, not Casper while he was there, who's sorted the, these problems out. I think any club who are pricing their own fans out of going to watch their own team is getting something wrong, as you were pointing out, George. I just want to go to another of the tweets we've had in from David Gad at GadDavid99. One, a couple of rows in front of me taking pictures and videos of Mane celebrating and also of their penalty so I did not hold back in shouting in his face when Barbel put one away hashtag stop the greed fair play David celebrating back and I'm sure that David is tweeting in is a completely peaceful respectful fan but there is an important point here right we're currently in a season in the Premier League where we've seen fighting in the stands in a way that we haven't in recent years we've seen pitch invasions a couple of weeks ago we saw a fan run onto the pitch and hit Aston Villa's Jack Grealish this is we're at a point in football where violence seems to be at a high hooliganism possibly is creeping back in and this kind of activity away fans in the home end is just asking for trouble you are going to lead to disagreements you're going to lead to Fulham fans reasonably saying oi mate what are you doing here and oi mate what are you doing here actually can be all that it takes to lead to quite a nasty incident and I think either the club or the league have to take some kind of responsibility to make sure that nobody gets hurt I think you know one thing we can point out is it, it hap- it's happened at Liverpool it's happened at United it's happened at Chelsea when away supporting fans have been found in the home end and there's, pe- there's Fulham fans who just steam down the Hammersmith stairways are looking for a fight with them which I mean I'm not I, I you know, it's behaviour which you, you don't really want to see at Fulham, but you know, you, you it, don't want to see. But at Fulham. I, I mean, it's just you know, it's but, but you know, I I don't necessarily blame them in that no. way because that's if they're in your if they're in your section, they're in the wrong place in the ground, and if it's going to frustrate, yeah, you, it's like, going to frustrate. Don't be violent to them. No, don't no, be I violent think, to yeah. them. But actually, you can understand the reaction. I no, it, it no, shouldn't. It shouldn't I, come I can't to understand the violence. No, just, it, just it, get them out. It shouldn't come down to the fans, though. Anyway, I remember going to. I went and watched Arsenal-Brentford in the League Cup earlier in the season. Um, Brentford fan in the Arsenal end, when Brentford scored, they stood up. A steward was on him, immediately dragged him off and he was gone. And that was the steward doing their jobs. That's, you know, stopping a problem before but, the Arsenal fans but I think that's start what, taking it into their own One of the reasons hand. why the fans are, would, would steam down the Hammersmith stairways is because they're seeing the stewards do absolutely nothing. Mm. And they're like, well, they're not going to do anything, I'm going to have to sort them out. But... Yeah. George's point about an Arsenal steward going, as I see it, above and beyond doesn't actually mean that the Fulham stewards are doing a less good job. From And I made this point earlier. From a Fulham steward's point of view, as you guys were saying, these men and women aren't paid a lot of money. Most of them are not specially trained. Asking them to go and effectively grapple with a Liverpool fan for what? What's the offence, technically? is quite problematic if they're being otherwise well behaved at the football it's quite difficult when they say why are you kicking me out you're a scouser isn't really going to cut it well it should do 
<laughs> because it's, as I said it's against the morals of football like if you're going to be supporting the other team go in the designated area for those two. if you go and get in a way to go, go watch it in, on the pub on the TV well, what, what, I, what else are the stewards doing if they're not there to well, stop problems sweet like nothing that? like we've seen for a lot of this season well what? then yeah but then if we know two three four weeks in advance that we're going to get a huge amount of Liverpool fans in the home end why aren't the club doing more why aren't the club employing more stewards or putting more money or more like we said if you see Liverpool fans coming in in the hammy end in the Johnny Haynes end whatever put staff in there and check well that is all for the Fulhamish podcast today thank you to Dom and the boys for giving their insights uh, into Sunday's game and some of the ticketing issues there as well and, and thank you to you guys as well for being so patient uh, lots of messages from you guys this week understanding uh, that sometimes these technical difficulties happen we hate to have it happen but uh, there's also plenty of other great Fulham content out there as well uh, particularly audio content from the guys at Cottage Talk and Fulham Focus as well well, uh, just lastly, uh, a nod to vote for Fulhamish in the upcoming Football Blogging Awards. Uh, we've never entered these awards before, but this year we're trying to get nominated for the Bed best podcast category uh, it's really really easy to vote just head to our twitter uh, which is at Fulhamish pod there is a link uh, down there you literally just click on this link go to the football blog and awards nominations page and type in Fulhamish where it says best podcast that's all you need to do it's really really simple uh, and if you're able to do that before this weekend when nominations close that would be absolutely fantastic Fulhamish will return next week we'll be previewing uh, the Man City game I will give you an update on everything that's happening with Stop the Greed because of course Man City is going to be our day of action for all of that and the ticket prices plus we've got a very special interview coming up as well so uh, make sure you're locked in for all of that but thank you for your patience hope you enjoyed the podcast today we'll be back better than ever next week have a good weekend come on you whites Acast powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Sarah. And we're the hosts of Pantsuit Politics, where we've built a community around grace-filled political conversations. And we wanted to share the words of our listeners because they understand best what we do. Susan told us, Many times I've used your words when my own have failed, opening doors that allow for discussion rather than debate. Amber says we encourage her to be more involved, to be a better citizen, and to be part of her community. Nicole said, Listening to you two process with one another is the only way for me to become unstuck. With the impending election on the horizon, join us and our amazing community of listeners at Pantsuit Politics as we prepare to vote, process the election, and prioritize our values and each other. Make sure you participate in our democracy by listening to Pantsuit Politics and, of course, exercising your right to vote. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.